Take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And while you're turning there, um, as you see, our kids had a great time at Strength to Stand a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I want to say thank you to all the uh, workers that went for Noah for getting that together and for leading our kids on that trip. Um, also to know that that's, uh, at least for next year, part of our plan for next year as well. And so Strength to Stand 2024 has already got spots reserved, and you can go ahead and register for that youth for that coming up. Um, but it fits in line with what we're talking about today, which is that we as a church exist as part of what we do is to pass on the faith to the next generation. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this series called Imprint, where we're talking about those things that we have to get right, that have to be the things that are true about us if we're going to be a successful body of Christ. And the first week we talked about the fact that if we don't glorify God, that if what we're about, if that ultimate goal of our church is not glorifying God, then we are missing out on what our purpose should be. The second week we talked about, the week that our kids were actually at strength to stand, that we stand on, we live under the authority of God's Word. That that is the standard by which we live. And then last week we talked about, from our um, from our statement of purpose that we have as a church, that we live, that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We talked about making passionately devoted followers, that the goal is to be people that are in love and following Jesus and his plan for our lives. Today we're going to talk about something that is necessary for us to talk about because it's not something we've done effectively as an American church in recent years. And that is God calls us to be the group that passes on the faith to those behind us. Now I want to say real clearly that the primary place that your faith is passed on from generation to generation is in the confines of your own family. Jonathan and Emily talked beautifully about trying to build that dynamic into our lives and into our family. So it's not weird that we go to church on Sunday and then everything is disconnected from that. That what is happening in the home is connected to who we are in Christ primarily. But I want to talk today a little bit about that as parents, but also as a kind of a macro level, a big level, talk about those of us that are a part of a church and our responsibility for that. This week, um, I received a copy of a new book that summarizes some investigative findings and statistics that LifeWay, and specifically the LifeWay Kids area, have put together about the current state of Christianity among the generations. And there was a graphic in there that showed me the need for what we're going to talk about today because it's just a reminder of where we're going and where we've been. So I'm going to put this graphic up on the screen. And just so you know, this is in each generation identifying as a Christian and church attendance is decreasing. And so over here on the far left, I know you can't read all of that, is the silent generation. That's basically anybody born before 1946. And so if that's you, you're part of the silent generation. I have no idea why they call you the silent generation, but that's who you are. All right. And then from 1945 to 1964 are the boomers. From 1965 to 1980, that's my group, that's Gen X. 
And then the millennials are 1981 to 1996. Now, the truth is there's a generation after that, Gen Z, but we don't have enough research data on them yet to kind of confirm any of this. But I just want you to notice, and I know there are individual stories that are different. Well, I have a friend or I have a family, but look at the trend you see. This is the red is the number or percentage of people that identify as Christians in our culture. 84 to 76 to 67 to 49. We call that not a good trend, right? Attend church once per month. That's a pretty low standard, right? 61% said that. So there's always been a difference between these two. 49. This is what's interesting to me. This, this drops not near as much as this, but 46 to 35. The point that we see there is that the trend is not good. And the Gen Z numbers are going to continue this if it goes according to what we have so far. Now here's the question. What's the reason for that? Well, there are lots of reasons, lots of things. But biblically, we're going to find out in a moment. There may be reasons, but the responsibility for this falls to the generations before see, one of the things that we like to do is to look at the next generation and go, I can't believe that generation. But why they, couldn't they be like us? Why couldn't they be like we were? Why couldn't they do that? Some of you may have even looked at that and been like, yeah, at least I'm a part of the good generation. But biblically, the responsibility falls on the generation before to disciple the generation after. And in actuality, it's usually the silent generation are the parents of Gen X and the boomers are the generations of, or the parents of the millennials. And so if you're just talking from parent to child, the silent generation is responsible for this and the boomers for the millennials. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4 says, Listen Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Deuteronomy, just to remind you, is the retelling of the law, literally means second law, Deuteronomos, second law. This is a sermon, all of Deuteronomy is a sermon from Moses to the generation that is going into the promised land. Interestingly enough, this is not Moses' generation, this is the generation after Moses, the ones that were going into the promised land. He is speaking this to them, reminding them of what is important, and he gets to chapter 6 and he says, above all importance, above all importance is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. It's the same thing that Jesus would say when someone asked him what is the most important commandment he would quote Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Moses is telling them that's important and then he says to them because Moses has seen the failure of a generation that had come out from God's bondage and their attempts to try to do it on their own without the Lord he says to this group don't mess this up do it live it love the Lord your God and make sure that you are passing on what has happened and given to you to the next generation 
Now, real quickly, I want to say something. I am not abdicating responsibility for those individuals in any generation that they have a personal responsibility to accept or be a part of what God has called them to do. What I am saying is that if we are not doing our part, we will see less people in the next generation that are followers of Jesus. So what do we do? I'm going to do this very quickly. Four things that I think are important for us to do as a church and as individuals. And the first thing is to reinforce the foundation. I find it interesting that he starts in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 basically saying, check your own life, check your own heart. Is this reality for you? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He says before you try to do anything else, make sure that it is real in your life. One of the issues that we have with generations that are around is they don't think we believe what we say we believe because they don't see it as evidence in our life. I don't know if you know this or not, but over 60% of Christian American teens, that's defined as people that went to church as teenagers in America, over 60% of them leave the church from 18 to 22. They ask them, why did you leave the church? This book puts a graphic to it. We've got the graphic up. So 66% of church kids, I don't know, that's quick math, that's two out of every three, right? Two out of every three leave the church between ages of 18 to 22. And I want you to notice that there are other reasons. I disagree with the church's stance on political issues. That's a quarter. My work responsibilities prevented it. That's 24%. I moved to college. But when they asked them, were there reasons that really impacted you? This is what they said. I went to a church to please others. I felt disconnected from the people at church. I never felt connected to the students in my youth ministry. But the biggest reason, 32%, the biggest reason on this graph for the relational reasons people left the church is they said that church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical. That I did not see in their lives what they proclaimed. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you walked away from the church over an incident that happened and you're kind of testing the waters or you come back and you said, yeah, I've seen there, been there. In fact, my guess is that if I ask you, could you ever name somebody in your life that you have seen being hypocritical in the way they acted, uh, saying that they believed one thing and doing something else, we all would have stories. And the truth is, we would all have stories about our own selves. And so what I'm not talking about here is not talking about instances that are happening. I'm talking about a pattern that develops in the life of a church where they say they believe one thing and they do something else. And it shows up in that the people that are younger see it and say, I don't want to be a part of that. We got to make sure that what we say we believe, we really believe. And that we live it out. Something I've said to you many, many times before is if it is not real to you, it won't matter to them. And in your faith, with your family, with your kids, with your grandkids, if your faith is not real, if you just want them to be part of a church because that's what a good, upstanding member of our society does, and maybe it'll disinfect them from some sin in the world, if that's your goal, it will not work. Your faith has to be real and active. It has to transform your life. We have a church-wide um, celebration tonight. 
I've been asked a few times, why did you change the name of business meeting to churchwide celebration? First of all, it's better marketing, all right? It doesn't sound as bad, right? But can I tell you honestly, part of the reason that we did that and that we do it the way we do with, um, we have people bring food, so bring food tonight at 5 o'clock and we, we spend some time fellowshipping together. We do a trivia game that some people hate but some people love, right? We have a good time around the tables. Part of that came out of during my first 10 years here, I would invite people to come to business meetings. And people that were under 40 would tell me, I've seen how people treat each other at those. I'm not going. And I've been there. Where people turn their brains off when it comes to that and suddenly it turns into a corporate quarterly report instead of a church meeting about how we move forward for God's glory and for the spread of his kingdom. And when that happens again and again, and we talk in Sunday school about how we ought to treat each other and love each other and be supporting each other and lift each other up, and then we go to a meeting or we see each other in public or we call each other on the phone and we begin to tear each other down or to talk negatively about people, people see that and they know. Reinforce the foundation. Secondly, we've got to speak the truth. Tell the truth. That's what it says right here. When you talk to your kids, repeat them to their children, talk about them. We don't compromise the reality of who we are in Christ or what Scripture teaches. We stand firm on it and we speak it in love, but we speak the truth. We don't bend our ear to what the whims of society may say. We don't try to fit into a cultural place so that people will find us to be more accepting than what Scripture tells us to be. We want to know, let all people know that they are loved by God. Absolutely. We speak the truth. Third, in line with that, we live out our faith. It tells us that they are to be part of what we do. We bind them as a sign on our hand. We let them be a symbol on our forehead. We write them on the doorpost of the house. The idea there is it is just a natural part of your life, everything about who you are, that you are continually showing that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I pray on a regular basis for myself is something that Jonathan and Emily talked a little bit about, and that is I don't want my kids to have any sense or feel in any way that I am performing for you on Sunday morning and that I am somebody different when I get home. I want to live out and I I want to do that because of I care about them and my goal for them is to live a life dedicated to the Lord and I know that part of that and part of my responsibility as their dad is not to be their pastor all the time but to be their dad that lives out my faith in front of them. And we have to be people that as a church are living our faith out in front of the next generation. It is not the church's responsibility to raise kids, but it is the church's responsibility to support parents that are attempting to raise their kids in the Lord and to raise kids or teach kids or to disciple kids that may not be getting that at home. The way we do that is we tell the truth, but we live it out as well. And then the last thing, and then we're done. Last thing is that we invest wisely in the Something that's throughout Scripture is that we need to be careful of where we put our time and our resources and our energy and our passion. And part of the reason that we saw that decline in that first thing is because the church, what's interesting is if you look at the 
the um, if you look at the wealth of the church over that period of time, the church in the history of the world may never have been wealthier than it has been during that time when the number of people coming has declined. And as a result, we've invested in things and we've done good business models and good business practices and built beautiful buildings. And yet we are missing something in passing on the faith to the next generation. And I'm not saying here, I'm not trying to say let's sell everything and not have anything invested in things that are going to waste away because that's not practical in our setting. But what I am saying is we must be careful not to invest as much as we can into things that are going to pass away. In our personal life, in your family, what are you showing your kids is important to them, to you? What are you investing in in their lives? What are you having them invest their time and their talent into? What are you investing your resources into? And as a church, what are we investing our resources into? Y'all know me. One of the things I believe in is getting kids to camp, getting kids to things like strength to stand, I just know that God uses those occasions. He can use any time, anywhere, and we've seen God move in amazing ways, but he uses those occasions to speak into the lives of kids. And all the statistics continue to show that if kids do not accept Christ by the time they are 18 years old, the likelihood that they will goes drastically down. And so if we are about the business of reaching people with the message of God's love and salvation, we need to do everything we can to let them know about it before they get to be 18 years old. Right? That seems like good investment. I didn't hear, I only heard one amen on that. I would expect more. All right. Amen. And so sometimes when I hear, well, why are we spending that much on that trip? Or why do we put that much toward that trip? Or are the, making sure the parents pay their part on getting to that trip? And I understand that thing. But as a church, we ought to do everything we can to see as many kids as possible get to camp and on, mission, and on trips where they are going to be impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ as we can. That's what it means to invest in the next generation. Well, I don't have any kids going to camp. All the more reason for you to invest in it. True generosity and true giving means that you give towards something that you get no return out of. Remember David when somebody wanted to give him land in order to give to the Lord? And what did he say? I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. If you're only giving to, this is the kind of sermon they tell you not to preach as a preacher, all right? If you're only giving to things that you're going to get returned from and out of, that is not investing in the next generation and true generosity. The question becomes, are we serious about investing in the next generation? Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These are the words I'm giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk to them when you sit down in your house, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down. Bind them as a sign on your hands. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. May we be a church that loves the Lord our God with all that we have. And may we be a church that is determined, if we do nothing else, to pass on the gospel that has been entrusted to us to the next generation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for being a God that cares and that loves. And Lord, we know that you have a desire 
that all men should come to know you. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment, that as we have this time of response, that there are those that need to come today, that we would come just knowing that we can bring our brokenness, that we can bring our difficulties, and we can lay them at your feet, Lord, and we can trust you're going to do good with them. And so, Lord, we pray in this moment that your will would be done on this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.